welcome to another episode of Downton Gabby. Tonight, we are talking about the horses, the hotties, and the hairdos of Season 5, Episode 6. I'm Teresa Schechter in Brooklyn. I'm Brandi Sperry in Los Angeles. And I'm Shannon Bowen in Oakland. So could we just first talk about the most awesome article that Ms. Magazine did about Downton Gabby and how ridiculously excited I am about this. And I also love that they gave an awesome shout out to our amazing live tweet crew, both East and West Coast, because that's part of East the Coast. Fun East Coast. Woo! Okay. Obviously <laughs> oh, West Coast is better. But... East Coast, West Coast beef going on now. <laughs> yeah. So we're very excited about that. And it is um, thanks to our awesome fans. So thank you for tuning in. And uh, we need to get right to it because we had a super packed episode. And I think we should begin at the end with Edith finally taking action on this issue of her child. Well, and her life. I mean, this is, this is her life. She's just been sitting around letting everyone else control her life all season. And this is the first agency we've seen. And I love it. Drink that champagne. You earned it. I would not have faulted her for killing her entire family on this episode. And when she was sitting at the table writing, I was pretty sure it was her manifesto to be read after her death and the mass murder of the entire Crawley family. That goes with my theory that I think the Granthams are actually monsters. <laughs> Hold Mon on. Let me unpack it. Okay. Let me unpack it. We're supposed to believe that they're this warm, loving family we should all aspire to. But when you look at the two examples of their family style, we have Edith and Mary. Edith, the loving, talented, loyal, forgiving, wonderful daughter who is nothing but ridiculed, insulted, neglected, all of that. Just rejected. And then you have Mary, who's being a little bitch puppet master all episode who doesn't care about anybody, and is using everybody left and right, and she is the golden child. It's fucked up. I wonder now in my head, you know how some shows do like an alternate reality episode? Mm -hmm. Like, I want to see what it would look like if no personality change whatsoever, Edith was the elder daughter. What would this family look like? Because she embodies goodness. I mean, I think she can be a lot to deal with. I, I do tend to be the one who defends Mary sometimes. She's very catty on this episode for no reason. But I would find Edith a lot to deal with. I have some sad sack people in my family where, like, everything that could, can go wrong does go wrong in their mind. Right. And it is exhausting. But you're right that when she has had a chance to break out of that, they have been nothing but doubters. And it's just... It, that's one of the reasons why she's never never has broken out of it. And particularly in this episode, Cora, her mom, hears that she got terrible news. Two or three times she hears that she got terrible news. And she's like, should I go talk to her? Yeah, that was, that was amazing. Like, uh, yeah, I, I and her you mother. should fucking go talk to her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, though, I mean, as we have said in, on many episodes, I am the captain of Team Edith, but... She's kind of a lot, you know. <laughs> I don't think she's all goodness and light, you guys. She's kind of Okay, I'm not saying she's like the best person in the world, but I feel like she is in general trying to good do good things for other people. Mary is not. Mary mm -hmm. uses everyone around her. Yeah. Mary does good things for Anna. And she asks Anna to go buy her <laughs> diaphragms. Yeah. 
I mean, <laughs> and she asks for it tenfold back again. Yeah, every yeah. like small good thing that she does, she expects yeah it to come back to her and again. I'll do something over. nice for you if you help me carry this dead body. I mean, she's a fucking sorority bitch. You know, she just is. <laughs> oh, and a major cock tease. Oh, by the yeah. way. I mean, which she knows on. on this episode, it became very clear. She was like, I'm literally trying to cock tease them. And Anna was like, okay, conversation over. I mean, Jeez. that haircut, that haircut looks good on her, ladies. I like it. It's about time somebody got their fucking hair on this show. It's 1924. Yeah. But yeah. it looks great on her, and she's really hot, and she looks great on a horse, and she's got that thing that all the boys like. But really, Mary, what did Mabel say to her? She looks like a cross between a Vogue fashion plate and a box of dynamite. Great line, and I do hope we get to see more of the two of them. I would love if they became sort of... Real, not reluctant friends, I don't really know how to put it, but just realizing that they can do more damage as allies than they can as enemies, kind of. Yeah, I love their rapport. It's so great. Is there yeah. some fanfic in there somewhere? On the live tweet, I was having this long conversation with um, Lady Cecily Neville on Twitter um, because we're both rabid Miss Fisher's murder mystery fans as well. And because they take place around the same time, we kept thinking what it would be like if Mary and Mabel showed up in Melbourne and hung out with Franny Fisher and talked about boys. I've been wanting to actually watch Mary on some sort of trip abroad, basically the whole series, so yeah, I'm for it. You're really yeah. obsessed with these like boat trips and like what happens <laughs> on these do. boats. I really want like a whole series just set on a ship. I might have a thing for ships that I never knew about until this show. And there's all this sex happening on the lower deck. Yeah, on the steamer. Steamy, steamer sex. As Mary Crawley often does, she has distracted us from the story at hand, which is Edith. Okay, yes. Well, because I feel we have to talk about this scene with Mrs. Drew, which oh. was... I'm, I'm glad that it was as dramatic as it was, because this is a thing to take seriously, right? Taking right. Marigold yeah. from... The mom that she's come to know over the course of, I don't know how long, I can't tell how long has passed in this season, especially since they've apparently recast the child as like a younger baby in this episode. Okay. You can go back and look at the episode on PBS though, but that kid had shoulder length, straight hair, and then this kid had short ringlets on this episode. That's a big difference. That's like claiming that they changed the actress for Mary because her hair is different in this episode. <laughs> I'm sure it's okay. still Michelle well, You know what? <laughs> I'll take some screen caps and then you can decide. The Mrs. Drew scene was great and completely heart-wrenching, as it should have been. And, um, you know, did you catch that line that if he would have had an affair, it wouldn't have been as horrible as what he had done to her? I mean, it, it is it is really horrible. And I, 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 I'm really glad that he didn't, Julian didn't just dust it under the rug because... As much as I am rooting for Edith, I feel really terrible for Mrs. Drews and, and Marigold. You know, and it is a little unrealistic that they get to London and that baby is not screaming her head off. Because she would be. She lost her parents, her siblings, everything she's known. It's really upsetting. So now Edith is a publisher, officially. Even though I think we've been calling her that for a while. But she's now officially, it's her magazine. So she now runs a magazine in London. Love it. So here's a question. What are the odds that the current Mrs. Gregson manages to escape from her attic and shows up to contest Edith's ownership of the magazine? I wouldn't be surprised if she showed up again. Right. And I, does she just inherit the magazine or all of his money, his apartment, everything? 
I guess that's mm. also a question I have. Oh, good question. Because if she inherits all of his money and his place and everything, then she, it's not going to be so hard to set up a new life in London. That's true. I wonder. I wonder. But then she'd have to inherit taking care of Mrs. Gregson, too, no? I mean, <laughs> I don't right. know. Yeah. It sounded like a business deal. Yeah. I think so, too. Solely a business deal. But that still gives her way more options than she would have had otherwise. And I hope that we get to see her embrace them, because as we've said many times, the amount of cool stuff that Julian could be showing about that part of London, about Edith's life in general, and he just doesn't bother with, I don't know that he's interested in it enough to show it, but I'm still kind of crossing my fingers that we can see a little bit more of the magazine business. I think I think that's it. I just don't think he's interested. Hmm. I, I just don't think he cares about the world of careers and... Right. Well, it's true, because again, going back to the two, the two daughters, the one that we spend most time with isn't interested in a career. Right. <laughs> She's just interested in flirting with boys. So it's like, <laughs> true. You know, um, that is a reflection on the person that is creating it. So uh, the other question that somebody posed on Twitter... <laughs> was, what are the odds for some dude showing up next season with a bandaged face claiming to be Michael Gregson? Oh, I've said that this is going to be a possibility <laughs> before as well. Yeah. I mean... 75% possibility? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody said that they were hoping that uh, it would turn into the beginning of the Phantom of the Opera. Excellent. I'm sorry I can't remember who that was at this point, but I laughed. Well, I actually had a pretty deep conversation on Twitter on the West Coast. Um, you know, West Coast being better, smarter, prettier, you know, everything. <laughs> um, that with Moto Diva and Evangeline of talking about could Mary and Edith ever come together. I mean, they're both bucking convention in different ways, yet they don't even try and come together and support each other. And I wonder if... Mary really knew what Edith was trying to do with her life if she would maybe finally respect her. Because I think that's Mary's problem. She doesn't respect Edith. You know, and maybe she'd come and try and support her. I don't think so. She couldn't even say a nice word on Sybil's deathbed. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, and that's the closest they ever got to being, you know, decent with each other was when Sybil died. I don't know. I think it's wishful thinking. But here's the thing, if the problem really is respect, then Sybil's death would never bridge that gap. If Mary really doesn't respect Edith because she thinks she's some simpering idiot who's completely unindependent, if she really knew, you know, how independent she is and how brave she is, maybe she would respect her and then maybe from that would grow, maybe not love, but a relationship. Okay. I'm alone in this. I'm alone in this. No, I mean, maybe some begrudging help or something, but I don't think Edith would ever reach out to her in the first place, so I, I mean... Well, Moto Diva had a really good comment that they said, I think Mary despises weakness in Edith because deep down she is flawed with the same weakness. And Evangeline said, you know, Mary's beauty is the perfect shield for her insecurity, and Edith's plainness is insecurity physically manifested. And I thought those were really profound statements, both of them. That's how we do it on the West Coast. You guys are deeper than us. We're just <laughs> making fart jokes and stuff. <laughs> um, well, it remains to be seen. We've still got two episodes plus the Christmas special, so anything could That's happen. True. Well, speaking of anything could happen, 
Chekhov's gun did go off. Diaphragm mm-hmm. found by Mr. Bates in the closet. Oh, man. Uh, I do kind of wish that it had been the cops who found it, like I predicted. Like, what's this? Oh, my. Let me take a look at it. I can just picture. <laughs> no, but of course it's Bates. I do love that this is the, the plot point that, la- that launched a thousand Chekhov references. <laughs> <laughs> but I also check off diaphragms they go together it's all the same although um so Anne Kingston pointed out that that the diaphragm is, is significantly less phallocentric than chef uh Chekhov's gun so <laughs> that's something I a, guess it is a cunning piece of equipment <laughs> I love the way he said that cunning piece of equipment yeah. yeah he just then immediately gets so self-righteous and accusatory and is I mean, this was like a drawing room scene in a mystery where he's wanting her to have an alibi for where she was at the time that the the cunning piece of equipment was purchased. Like, the whole thing was just... And then she, of course, annoyingly won't just be like, okay, on the down low, it's it's Mary. She totes bones, Tony. Like, just tell him. I mean, he's not going to tell anyone. Who's he going to tell? He have... He has no friends in the house besides you. Right. That's true. There's no one to tell except Mr. Uh, Lord Grantham. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I don't see how that would go over. Like, "Mm." oh, have you heard of this Marie Stokes? (laughs) Excuse me. He's the one who narked on Sybil in the first season when Sybil went to listen to those politicians. Was he? Well, yes. I, I like to believe that he did that. As sort of a, I'm worried she's in danger, I'm a, I'm a man, I need to protect people kind of thing. So the story then is that uh, Bates wanted to go to London, but then decided he wasn't going to go to London, but that was still the day that But somehow... then coincidentally, Mr. Green died on that day. I rolled my eyes so hard, you guys. <laughs> well, you still think he, he killed his first wife, so... Well, I was no. on the edge of my seat being like, but where does the shoe shop errand come in? I mean, where does it? Because I just can't wait to find out. Because what the fuck is this storyline? Jesus. I, so either, so then someone else killed him, right? Because right. there's still this thing about how, like, there was an overheard, what are you doing here, before he fell in front of the trolley. And so who could it possibly be? Unless Bates just bought two tickets to London to cover his own tracks. Yeah, and by the way, those tickets aren't dated. Yeah, they, I was like, can't they just go get another one? I mean, this is not, yeah. <laughs> this doesn't make any, this makes as much sense as the exonerating pie with Vera, though. So, it's just like... Uh, but this storyline is just not going away. It's just not going away. Well, it's and... so good. I mean, <laughs> I just can't wait. All right. I don't know. I didn't even understand because they had this teary reconciliation when Anna finds out that he isn't really a murderer, supposedly. But then she still hasn't given any explanation for the device. Mm-hmm. But he's like over it. I don't know. It the whole it was it doesn't make any sense and I'm just I can't deal with it. I can't deal with it anymore. Well, I just really want them to write a book on how to have a happy marriage cuz they really <laughs> get it. They really get it. When he's throwing tantrums, stop blocking my baby sperm. This marriage is ridiculous. She seems to be less and less into it. I mean, I would be getting a little exhausted if I was her like, "Okay, 
how many times do I have to prove that you're not a murderer before I think maybe you are a murderer <laughs> and maybe I am blocking your baby sperm. Okay, well, let's talk about the other marriage that got reconciled in this episode. Uh, Cora and Lord Grantham. I liked, this was another um, incident of Cora kind of standing up for herself, which seems to be a good theme this season. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I, you guys, I don't think agree, but I was wondering whether she has some idea of what happened with Jane the Maid a couple seasons ago, because she seemed to be speaking from experience right. when she said that to him. I mean, they have a lot of people come and stay at their house, like, all the time, There's, and people are drinking at dinner, mm -hmm. you know, you flirt. Lady Shackleton, that stone fox, has totally run her hand down Robert's thigh before... It's a parade of babes all the time. No, but, Come on. but she was good. She was good. They, he wrote her a really great speech, really to the point. She's like, pot, meat kettle, I'm going to bed. I expect you there. Perfect summary. Mm -hmm. That was yep. exactly right, Therese. Thank you. Yeah, she's been yeah. way more interesting this season. And um, before the season started, I took a picture of this little... Um, this little snippet paragraph in Entertainment Weekly about the season to come, and they said it's a season of unprecedented female empowerment. And I have to say, it's living up to that. The women this season are super empowered, and I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been it's been great, great stuff for the women. Great writing for the women. Yeah, yeah. And we got Isabel, <gasps> Lady oh. Martin. So, so which one of you were was talking about how that her acceptance was was played off screen, which is interesting. Yes, this is what I said. You know, Julian always writes weird scenes to take place off screen, like what I would think would be like the culmination of a touching storyline. He's like, "Oh yeah, that happened. That's fine." <laughs> well, my theory is that this storyline is really about Violet and Isabel. Um, yeah. But I, I would have liked to see her accepting. But I, I just can't wait till he shows up again. I want them to be holding hands. And I, I want them to have pet names for each other. I'm so happy about this. This is Goiter really 1 awesome. and Goiter 2. <laughs> right. Discussing the latest hernia operation techniques. Oh, my Ooh. God. Syphilis. Ooh. Syphilis. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, mm -hmm. that went too gross. That just, that just killed the mood. Speaking, I was just trying to think of my diseases of the time. Speaking of which, is this a good segue to Thomas? Oh, God. Mm. I, I am relieved that the storyline did not end up being a, a way to his death. Because for a second there, I really thought Julian was going to go the like tragic gay death storyline. Thank God it's just a butt abscess, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and Dr. Clarkson was uh, reasonably compassionate about it, I thought. Yeah, um, he was cool. And, of course, Baxter, St. Baxter, not even caring that Thomas apparently sent a letter to the police saying that she do something about Bates. I can't even keep... I don't remember what Baxter's exact movements were during that episode last season when Bates oh God. went to I London. I don't think like, she was on the show yet, was I she? I don't... It was... No, she, it was just too much to keep track Ugh. of. What's her first name? Eight. Hey, stop being such a Miss Bunty. We know her <laughs> name. Okay. It's it's Baxter. 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 <laughs> Do we know her first name? 
Can I? Should uh, I go to the wikia? Do I hear you typing there, Shannon? I'm typing. It's Phyllis. I don't think we've ever heard that on the show. Phyllis, Phyllis Baxter. Her name we have is never heard Phyllis? that. Phyllis. No, no, we have. We have not. never heard the word Phyllis before. <laughs> that's. True. I would remember, right? Because that's the actress who plays Mrs. Hughes. That's her name in real life. Phyllis yes, Logan. So. Yeah. Yeah, I would have remembered Interesting. That. Well, anyway, you know, good for Dr. Clarkson. He even got the seal of approval from Tom and Lorenzo, which was nice. They're like, Dr. Yeah. Clarkson handles the situation with the gay man well. Yeah, he, he handled it with tact, and mm-hmm. it was nice. And I do hope that, you know, we can just kind of get over it and give Thomas something else to do besides fuck people over and mope about being gay. Yeah, I mean, it's very similar to Edith. You know, and now she's finally getting a better storyline. Hopefully he will get to be empowered in his life, too. Hashtag boyfriend for Barrow. Right. Serious. I'm so serious. Come on. Maybe one of these builders are going to come build some houses next season or whatever. Interesting. Interesting. Let's get those builders on a boat. Get them (laughs) down to the lower decks. (laughs) But there's going to be, like, a lot of... You know, empty houses where they could do it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I just, I'm writing more fanfic in my head right now. Yeah, I, I, I just want him to be happy. That's okay. That's okay. We all want him to be happy. We really do. Let's get yeah. him interested. He's a very interesting character when they give him something more to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, remember when he was in the hospital working with Sybil and, like, helping that blind... Oh yeah, soldier and stuff. I love like, that storyline. Yeah, he's had—he is such a great character, and he's such a great actor, and he just gets short shifted all the time into yeah. the stereotype. It's so annoying. Boyfriend for Barrow. Boyfriend for Barrow. I thought the absolutely most wonderful romantic thing in the entire show was the Dowager visiting Prince oh. Karagan. What a good scene! Every <sighs> line was like electric. Oh my gosh, I was just like. I can't remember, you know, uh, let me just say, because I bashed Julian so often, I don't remember the last time I saw this, like, subtly sexy of a scene between two, like, people in their 70s. It was amazing. It was amazing. It all unfolded really slowly. It took its time. It was beautifully shot. It was gorgeous. Mm -hmm. The light was just beautiful. Um, and, and, you know, it was also incredibly poignant because you know that, that Violet is going to play her proper role in society and sacrifice what she needs to sacrifice and duty above everything. And, um, the whole thing was wonderful. I actually watched it. I rewound it and watched it again just to, you know, see all the details. So I'm actually wondering if, if Prince Karagin was widowed. If we found out that his wife had died, do you think anything would happen? Maybe. If she can watch Isabel do it. And because, I don't know, I I didn't quite know how to interpret the look on Violet's face after Isabel said her line about, like, this might be my last chance for an adventure. But it seemed like there was a lot going on there as far as, like, how she's felt about Isabel losing her friend or having someone having her friend go above her in society and then all the stuff going on with the prince it just seemed like maybe for the first time in the history of the show Violet didn't actually know how she was reacting to something Mm, she was confused that's really profound and maybe she's 
jealous of Isabel's bravery, you know, Maybe. because the Dowager hasn't changed her life. Changing her maid has been the biggest thing that has happened. But maybe she wishes she had the courage to just run off with him or whatever. Not wait for this woman to be dead and just go for it. Buck convention. Well, he sort of calls her on it when he says that, you know, that you're not allowed to be unhappy in a marriage. You know, because I don't remember the words. That wouldn't be proper. And then she says, you do know me, Igor. You know, and, Mm -hmm. and, and it's really like this sort of like she's just letting that much slip through and that's it. Mm -hmm. That's all she can do. She's been a widow for such a long time, you know. Is it, There's nothing wrong with a widow and a widower, if he does turn out to be that, deciding to be companions for the final act of their lives. And I don't think anyone in her life would even say that was improper. But remember last season when, when uh, Viola got really sick? Who came and took care of her? Isabel. Oh, that was so sweet. And if Isabel's not there, who who's going to come? You yeah. know, she does need a companion, and, you know, if Isabel is going to go on her adventure, well, Violet needs to, to figure out hers. I still think they're going to keep doing their game night, their weekly game night. I don't think that's going to go away. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, but like you've said before, like, it's sad when your fr- your friendship has to be like, okay, now we have to schedule weekly game night instead of just, you know, texting after work to see what you're doing. Totally. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's hard. So yeah. um, I, I just want to I just want to make sure we we uh, acknowledge this quote that you wrote in our agenda, Brandy. Mm-hmm. I wanted you from the moment I first saw you more than mortal man ever wanted woman. I've got a romantic speech to top that, which is Carson asking <laughs> Mrs. Hughes, "Would you be interested in investing in property together?" I mean, dude, get some game. <laughs> I mean, I will give Carson points for the fact that that is all action and no talk, basically. (laughs) That's true. I will point out that it is sometimes harder to get out of a bad real estate deal than a bad marriage. Yeah, says the woman who lives in New York City. This is exactly what I said to my boyfriend when we decided to buy a house before we decided to get married. So I considered that a much firmer commitment from him that he wanted to buy a place together. <laughs> what I really want them to do, though, is not just to like buy a cottage by the seaside or whatever, but to like actually. I don't. I don't think either of them would be happy being idle, no matter how old they get. So they should totally run a B and B. And maybe Mrs. Patmore can even help them out. Like maybe they can get all of their fresh jams from Daisy's farm. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I love it. I love it. It could be like a whole spinoff. It could be like when the Golden Girls ended, but then Golden Palace went on without Dorothy for a season while they ran a hotel. Yes. (laughs) Right. What would the B&B be called? Uh, It would be called maybe like the King's Table. Mm. I was thinking that it would be called a proper stay. Everything's proper about it. You stay the proper amount of time. The towels are proper. Breakfast is proper. It's all proper. We do things the proper way at the proper stay. <laughs> All right, listeners, tweet us what you would call Carson and Mrs. Hughes B&B. Let's get some good titles out there, and we'll pick our yeah. favorite. And tweet us any spinoff ideas, because there's been some funny ones that have come up in the Twitter conversation, and I just, I don't know, that's like my fave thing. There's been some great ones. My latest one is I would love a call-in show with Sprat called Sprat Knows All. The Sprat Chat. <laughs> 
And he would tell you that you do not need to send your delicates up to the big house because the lady can just wash them herself. But people have been sending us their great spinoff ideas, and I think we should totally up this. Send us your spinoff ideas. We'll talk about them on the next podcast. We'll pick our favorite three, put them on Twitter, then you guys can vote. We'll have our favorite one. Oh, and then I'll write a fanfic about it. Brandy fanfic. I've been searching for a reason to write more fanfic since I wrote about Thomas's adventures on the steamer. So <laughs> Exactly. So extra points if you can work in a boat. By the way, I tweeted um, Sunday night, um, Atticus Aldridge, still yummy. And I tagged Matt Barber in it. And he retweeted it. So we're basically oh my God. best friends. Basically, we're dating. Um, well, I love meeting Atticus's parents. I love this whole world coming in and, you know, yummy times three. This is great. Oh, wait. I didn't mean to call his parents <laughs> yummy. That's kind of gross. <laughs> Sorry. Didn't think that, that was would be a Lord <laughs> and Lady again. Yummy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yummy the Elder. I, I love I love that. Uh, well, first of all, I love Mrs. Aldrich. I think she's super cool, and the way she invited everybody over to have a little nosh at her house. But I also love the way how Isabel sort of came at the whole Jewish thing, sort of sideways with Violet, like, mm-hmm. oh, and she won't even have to convert. And Violet is like, uh, what? I'm curious to see where it goes. I think he's just adorable and they're adorable together Mm -hmm. and I really hope that we just get to have a series of adorable weddings I mean I'm not a person who has wedding fever guys but on this show I just constantly want people to be getting married I think that's a testament to how nicely they've constructed these relationships and these couples and for a lot of these characters uh particularly the older characters it's been a lot of years since they've had a romance and I mean, honestly, even with Rose, at this point, it's been a couple years since she came out, and I was hoping that we would see a little more of that sort of uh, spectacle of her having to go to balls and meet people and this and that, and we haven't gotten to see it, so now I'm like, Atticus, yes, thank God, someone cute. (laughs) Oh, for the days when coming out meant something completely different. Yeah, exactly. I mean, oh, if she wanted to make out with a cute girl, I'd be for that, too. But unfortunately, we're not going to get that. All right. Well, since we're almost to the end of the podcast, let's get to the saddest story of all, which is Isis maybe dying. It was weird the way they cut in about that a couple times this episode. They're, like, more concerned about Isis than they are about you. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And and, the, and and everyone seems to be freaking out about Isis, who's got to be, what, like, 25 years old at this point, right? I so, don't know. Someone was saying the dog was a different dog in the first series, and I'm like, I can't, I can't. Yeah, well, yeah. But, I mean, I think I think it's got to be old age, or, or else Isis just got so bored with the Mr. Green storyline, she just passed out. Right. Um, I will cry when Isis dies. So. Oh, I yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, just going to say right. it. Um, so, so, let's little... do something light and fun. Let's do our fabulous things. Let's not end on a dead dog. Okay. First, <laughs> first rule of podcasting. Um, uh, I have a one fabulous thing. I just want to um, recognize a great show I saw at Upright Citizens Brigade here in Los Angeles called Search History, which is like a rotating cast of all-female improv. And it's every Sunday night. And I finally saw it this weekend. It was so good. And I guess sometimes they invite one dude to come up there with them, which they had done this week. So it was five women and one guy. And it was just 
so fun to watch a guy have to be like the token <laughs> comedian and trying to keep up with all the connections that the women were making in their mind and moving on to all of these like incredibly elaborate storylines because what they do is they pull an audience member from the crowd and then they look at their search history on their phone and they use all of oh those my God. as prompts for what they do. It was really, really, really funny. That could be really so if you're in Los Angeles. Yeah. If you're in Los Angeles or if you're visiting, I highly recommend checking out that show every Sunday night at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater on Franklin. So Awesome. I'm totally going to segue to another comedy with awesome ladies that I'm sure everybody's watching, but if you're not, get on board, which is Broad City. And season two is just killing it. I love the web series. I really like season one, but season two is just taking it to a whole new level. And not only is it laugh out loud funny, but it's about two best friends who are soulmates and put each other first. And I love that. And just start watching and make your life better by laughing. It's been so funny this season. So good. They're just, they're on another level. Yeah, it is one of the funniest comedies on TV right now, for sure. They're also the cover girls for Bust Magazine. Yeah. And they recreate all these scenes from um, Thelma and Louise. It's, it's adorable. Amazing. Which, like, wouldn't that be a dream photo shoot that you get to do that? Like, Yeah, with, like, the sunglasses and the headscarves and stuff. Yeah. Oh, the photos are so funny. They're, they're really great. Okay, my one fabulous thing is the stage version of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Um, I actually saw the film when it came out in like 2001, and that was based on a stage show in the 90s developed by John Cameron Mitchell, and the revival premiered on Broadway with Neil Patrick Harris. He won a Tony for it. I went to see it. I really love Hedwig. I thought he was an okay Hedwig, I'm sorry to say. I didn't think he was great. And then a couple of weeks ago, I saw it with John Cameron Mitchell reprising his role as the original Hedwig, and this was one of the great theatrical experiences of my life. Wow. It, I, I'm likening it to when I saw Angels in America. I mean, it was a transformative theatrical experience. John Cameron Mitchell is so brilliant, and the show is absolutely brilliant, too. Um, but he's amazing. And if you're not in New York and you can't get to see John Cameron Mitchell on Broadway... I would recommend renting the film because it, that's also him in the film. And um, it's very different than the show, but it's still great. So, Hedwig, forever. I'm very envious. I love the movie, and I would love to be able to see him on the stage. Ditto. It, it was amazing. And the whole theater was, like, crazed. I've never seen such a crazy audience. As, as were me and my friend Birgit, we were both screaming and crying also. Oh, it makes me wish that we could take Thomas and transport him from fictional mm. 1924 England and just show him how cool life would someday be. <laughs> oh my god, I can just Thomas. see Thomas sashaying around in some assless chaps at like a great rave party, <laughs> you know? Ugh. I still think he needs to go to Berlin, but that's just me. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe that'll be the fanfic that people choose for me to write. I'm really mm. excited about this challenge, <laughs> mainly because I love Brandy's fanfic, but I'm really pumped. So, yes, listeners, send us your spinoff series ideas and also send us the title of what you think Carson and Mrs. Hughes would name their B&B. I'm pumped to hear everyone's responses. 
All right. Well, that's another episode of Downton Gabby, and we're uh, going to be here again next week. And join us for our live tweet every Sunday night, East Coast and West Coast broadcasts at Downton Gabby. We're also on Facebook at Downton Gabby and on Tumblr at DowntonGabby.tumblr.com. London is the place for me. London, this lovely city. You can go to France or America, India, Asia or Australia, but you must come back to London City. (laughs) Thank you.